deciding to shift from this life of shoulds going along with what I thought I should do and figuring out like, oh my gosh, like how do I really want to live? Can I have all these things that I would think about, but I wasn't actually experiencing? And eventually, like one step at a time, I realized like I could have all those things. Here with us today is Reagan Walsh. Reagan Walsh is a, an NYU certified executive coach who helps seasoned and emerging leaders thrive in work and in life. She spent 15 years in Fortune 500 nonprofit and startup environments, excelling in sales, marketing, human resources, and culture development. In each role, Reagan refined her ability to help individuals and teams navigate barriers, improving communication, gain confidence, and ultimately win. Her coaching drives results because she challenges people to clarify their vision, guides them as they map a clear plan to achieve their goals, and supports them along their journey. Reagan contributes to Harvard Business Review and Forbes, which I've had the luxury of uh, doing with Reagan, and has been featured in Fast Company, Smart Business, and NBC News. She has coached thousands of people through her one-on-one and group coaching programs, and she regularly is asked to give keynotes, facilitate workshops, and speak on panels for Fortune 500 companies, industry associations, and foundations. She's done so for clients like Nike, QuickBooks, JP Morgan, and Nationwide. She's located here in Columbus, Ohio, and coaches people from all over the world. That's quite the bio. That's a lot of a lot of words. It is a lot yeah, of words, she- but like you've done a lot of things. Yeah, you're yeah. right. I have. Yeah. Yeah, and you're doing a lot of things, and it's awesome. Thanks. And we go way back. Oh, we sure do. And um, you promised that you would share the story, which I am embarrassed to say I don't fully remember. Yeah, and then I can embellish a little you bit. You can kind of like, I, I, it might come back to me, so be careful. Yeah. But why don't you uh, just start there? How- yeah. So, Brett, I first met you, um, it was about 12 years ago, and I was working at a branding agency, and you were a client. So, what happened from what I understand is I like walk into this role. You're used- I'm like nervous about where this is going. I mean, don't be really nervous. Okay. What's funny, this is the lesson. I'm mm-hmm. going to give the lesson up front. We were both different people. Yes. And and I was just starting transformation and I don't think you had started yours. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 12 so, years ago. Let me think about that. Um, you're probably right. Yeah. So um, you were used to working with a specific person. Mm -hmm. That person, I think, was let go or decided to leave on her own accord. I have no idea. I walk in. You have no idea that you have a new account person. Um, Part of the culture of the organization I was a part of was you have like 90 days to prove that you're cool enough to stay there. And at any time, they can tell you to leave. And I had a friend that had been hired there. And she's like, listen, I'm not cool enough. They're for sure going to get rid of me. Like, don't attach yourself to my hip. So you started sending feedback on a project and everyone's like, you know, I don't like, I don't like this language for this specific project. And I think we should edit it. And I go into this meeting and you're there and we did not like follow one of your instructions. We listened to zero of your feedback. And I'm this person that's supposed to have your back. Like I am your person, right? But I am so afraid to speak up and stand up for your needs as my client because I need to fit in with these people that are telling me we're not going to do that. This is the direction this project needs to go and we're going to tell them. So we go into this conference room and I just remember your fist hit the table and you're like, you guys are not listening to anything I'm saying. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're damn right. But like, what do I do? Who yeah. do I serve? Do yeah. I do I stand up for my client? Yeah. Do I stand up for these creative people that don't yeah. know me and I don't want to get fired in 90 days? And then you actually didn't fire, like you picked up the phone and I think you called the, the owner mm-hmm. of the company mm-hmm. and you let us go. But I think what is so funny is like today, I just would have fought for my client mm-hmm. and say, listen, assholes. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that you think you know his project better than he does, mm-hmm. but that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have that kind of confidence yeah. at that time. And I think you have probably changed where you wouldn't, you know, right. pound your fist on the table. Right. And it would have been a different conversation. So yeah. here we are. I mean, I'm not kidding. There have been times I've seen you around town between like now and maybe two years ago mm-hmm. where I would like put my head in a magazine at like North Star Cafe. <laughs> like, oh, fuck, there's Brett. I can't be. Because I had so much shame uh-huh. about how shitty I was as an account manager to you. That's so funny. So that does explain why I didn't remember the story in a lot of ways. One, because you're right. I was unconscious at that time. Yeah. Um, and there was a kind of a way of being which I really had to work to shed for the most part. Um, occasionally, it does still creep up if I'm being honest, but um, like rarely compared to what it used to. And there was a lot of frustration and anger and things that I took on from my upbring- upbringing, which you know I want to kind of get into with you. Sure. But it's it's funny because you know just kind of in that world and kind of in the world in general what i've had to really learn is that there was some real truth telling that was happening there right mm-hmm. oftentimes i do find that especially in the creative world there's this kind of sense at, or this tension about what who knows best right the creatives the client and what i've learned is like there's a real potential there for a healthy tension. Yeah. Right. And the best outcome. Right. If if handled properly, totally. right. Challenge each other. We we like to say, like, it's truth and love. Yeah. The, the love was missing. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. And that's the part that makes me cringe when I think back, like, ugh, like, you know, the fact that Reagan didn't even want to look at me. Oh my God. Well, know? because I felt ashamed. Yeah. It wasn't about you. I know. Like, I know. that part actually didn't bother me, yeah. but I get it. But I felt ashamed that I didn't have the confidence to say like, I don't, you know, I don't care. Do you guys want to lose this account? Because that's how this is going to go down. Like if we don't listen to our clients, they're going to walk away. Well, and it brings me to like this concept and, and we'll back up in a second. But, you know, we get so attached to stories. You know, you had a whole story I'm, I'm thinking it's what yeah, I'm hearing, sure. you know, yeah. that that like you didn't do something that you were ashamed of. Totally. Uh, and like, right, thinking back, it's like nothing, right? Big, no deal. big deal. You're new on the job, yeah. you're young, yeah. you know, like you're in this like conflict. You, yeah. you decided to um, look out for yourself first. Like who wouldn't understand yeah, totally. that? Especially all these years later is like, hopefully we're all maturing a bit, totally. you know? Um, yet like until we have a chance to connect, on some other level, that like might run. And in this case, it's like no big deal at all. It's Who no cares, right? Yeah. But like, what else um, are we doing that with? Do you, do you kind of like see this unfolding for you as you kind of step into your true self and your adult self um, in other ways? 
I think that um, learning how not to ruminate on things from the past and how that like really doesn't serve me or most of us has been really transformative. And to be in the here and now and have the courage to be present in this moment and not thinking about what what could have happened instead or what might happen. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a really powerful shift that I've been able to make. Yeah. Okay, good. So I want to hear about how you've made that shift, but, but let's back up. So, you know, what we're trying to do here on this podcast is really lean into people's life journeys. And I find, and we were talking about this a little bit before, that the sharing, mm-hmm. the vulnerability, uh, people in my belief, you know, get to kind of see themselves through you, um, whether that there's a reflection or a projection that, you know, your journey in some way, shape or form is not that different than other people and they may not know it. Totally. And so I am really curious to kind of hear as early as you want to start sure. kind of how your life started to come to be. Yeah. So I, it's funny this morning, as I shared with you, feeling like a little bit nervous to like open myself up. I, two themes kept popping up and we can talk about both of them if it, if it feels right. But one of them is that like the childhood insecurities that you carry around for a long time. And then I also have like shame about money stories that I created like from childhood until adulthood and didn't really recognize until within the last like maybe five years of my life. And I think that they're both important and other people could relate to them. So I'll start with childhood insecurities and kind of like how I, I growing up, I had a lot of internal anxiety. I had um, learning disabilities that I think today would have been like captured and, and I would have had a different support system. But for me, learning was incredibly hard. Now tell me just... So, so where are you in the world? I am in Columbus. I grew up in a suburb called Upper Arlington. Mm-hmm. I, I was the youngest of six kids. Okay. I have five okay. older siblings who, in my opinion, are all pretty smart, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems, in my opinion, that things kind of come easy for them. So mm-hmm. I'm the baby of the family. I have two parents. Like my family definitely kicks ass. And, and, and again, I have some shame about thinking of my family in a different way way. How am I? I'm not saying this correctly. I have some, like, I feel bad about some things I used to think about my upbringing because now I understand like I had what everybody probably would dream of having. Cause I had like, my parents are amazing. My siblings are amazing. So we can get to that. Later. Well, but you know, I think it's important because sometimes there's some, I don't know if it's guilt or lack of willing to acknowledge um, that these you know, whether they be traumas, I don't know if 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 that's what it, they were for you, but that there's some sort of like, well, because I'm in Arlington and everybody's good and things are really, you know, all in all, you know, we, we tend to sometimes minimize the things that are really real for you. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're real. I think, so the realness is that part of the realness is that my family was healthier than like probably the majority, but I just didn't see that because I was focused on things like money that other people had that we didn't. Mm -hmm. And then the realness for me um, also came up in where there's like excellence and brilliance and all this stuff. I was trying to fake it because Mm -hmm. the, the standard in which people were measured, Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't, 
an athlete at that time. It's funny because I am now Mm -hmm. as an adult. Part of that is like growing up, my siblings weren't athletes because everything cost money and we didn't have a lot of extra cash Mm -hmm. and they had to pay for it, Mm -hmm. right? So I didn't grow up with five older siblings that were you know, active in sports. Are they coordinated enough to pull it off? Who knows? Mm. But also like from an academic standpoint, I really, really struggled. Mm. And um, from like learning to read, I was a late bloomer. I probably am like ADD and attentive, right? Today, I think that's probably what they they would call me because Mm. I would just daydream and I would literally miss the whole day. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember finding, and I've never shared this story, I remember finding a file in my parents' like desk and I was looking at like test scores as a, as a high schooler and they were test scores from my childhood. And the language used was basically that I, um, you know, was developmentally delayed in some way because I like when it came to standardized testing, I would literally shut down and miss every question. But if you got in front of me one-on-one and you explained something and we had a conversation and you quizzed me verbally, I would answer the question. Mm -hmm. So my whole life, I felt that I was stupid, Mm -hmm. like my whole life. And and I've had a lot of trauma because of that. Mm -hmm. I always felt less than. And I, you know, my, all of my siblings went to Miami. I didn't get into Miami University. Mm -hmm. I went to OU. Mm -hmm. I found a letter that my dad wrote to the admission saying, you know, we've sent five of our kids here. And, 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 you know, look at this girl, like, look at my daughter. She's, you know, on student council. She's this, she was Miss Arlington, like all of these service-based community-based things I excelled in, but the things that it felt at the time that mattered, I failed in. So this is really great. Um, and again, I appreciate you sharing this. Yeah. So you, you had, how would you describe your parents were they, I mean, you found these things. There were these like data points that you were starting to attach to, create a story about, yeah. right? And, and for you, and, and for me too, by the way, and a lot of other people, I've realized this. And, and this is, again, why I love to have these conversations and share these stories is because I also had not enough and not smart. These, these, two, these are two things um, that we have in common yeah. from our childhood. Now, mine came from very direct language um, and kind of like generational abusive mm-hmm. um, uh, kind of experience um, from my father. Now, wh- whether he, he, done, he didn't mean to do that, but mm-hmm. that's what I took on. Yeah. Right. Yours sounds, and maybe I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like um, not the same for you. Your parents were, you described them. Well, so I think I was absorbing that kind of through whispers right? Like I have a memory of being in my bedroom. My parents' um, room was across the hall from mine. And my mom was sitting on the floor talking on the phone to her best friend. And her best friend had a a son who was dyslexic. And so they were talking about dyslexia and they, they hung up the phone. And then my mom called me into her room and she brought out this book and she was asking me specific questions about words and how I was seeing them. And so you were how old? Um, I was in elementary school. Yeah. I don't know, maybe yeah. third grade. But mm-hmm. I knew enough that I had to focus extra hard because I didn't want to be dyslexic. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, "Do you see these, you know, letters yeah. differently?" Mm-hmm. And then I was like, "Okay, how?" And I would <clears throat> hyper focus 
on how to spell the word, mm-hmm. right? Um, and like fast forward to my adult life, I worked at a, a camp called Flying Horse Farms mm-hmm. for a while. And I always would spell farms, frams. Mm-hmm. And so I'd have to look at it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like here I am in charge of the brand mm-hmm. and the storytelling. And every single time, so much so that spell check doesn't catch it, I was reversing the orders of the letters. Am I dyslexic? I have no idea. Yeah. Do I know that it's something that has been part of like in the back of my head since elementary school? Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. So my, the, 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 the story that I took on was because of like whispers that I would hear my parents talking about it and then like coming to me and asking me a question mm-hmm. or knowing that I was like failing these tests. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I just used to be so embarrassed mm-hmm. and, and try to hide it. I remember the, the guy I was dating in high school, you know, getting into, well, he, he got into a second choice. Then he eventually got into the Naval Academy, which, which, which was his first choice. But I remember like trying to hide the fact that I didn't get into Miami. And I think I probably lied to people. I'm sure that I did. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that I did and said like I didn't apply mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or didn't, you know, ever bring it up yeah. because I felt so much shame that I couldn't, I wasn't good enough to go where my siblings were. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the stories that we create sometimes are informed by facts or the kind of experience we have in the world. So it was very common at that time to label kids either dyslexic or ADHD or something um, that kind of may or may not have been entirely true, but was kind of all people really knew to associate behavior and so they'd give it a label. Yeah. And, you know, that's still true. There are different things today, but um, it's it's uh, been kind of an awareness I've been um, kind of getting sensitive to because we do that all over the place and it has such an impact, especially on young people. Oh, I worry about it so much with my kids and not creating a story for them. I'm very, like, I think about it a lot. Like, how can I make sure I'm not labeling them, right? Because I already kind of have. I have one that I've labeled as a little bit anxious and shy and whatever, and one that I'm like scared to death because she's so confident. Mm -hmm. And I I do worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see with my own kids, you know, they have their kind of ways of being and some of them fit kind of more into like what they're supposed to be. And, you know, yet because I've had the experience where like you, you know, maybe I wasn't supposed to be something that I turned out. I realized that the things that were actually unique to me could be leveraged in the world. You kind of try to look at your own kids and just people in general, a little bit more kind of open and less judgmental. Yeah. And figuring out like, what is your genius? So I think that my, one of the things that makes me a genius is my own intuition. Mm -hmm. And from an early age, um, there are examples of this. So when I was, I think four years old, I had an imaginary friend. Her name was Mary Gordon. Mm-hmm. She had a first and a last name. She was part of my life for a long time. I talked about Mary Gordon. Everybody in my family knew about Mary Gordon. You always referred to her As first and last name. Mary Gordon. Yes. So fast forward, I'm 15 years old. It's pretty sophisticated. I mean, I, you know, I'm I like a it. dummy. Yeah. 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 So I'm 15 years old. My oldest sister was adopted because my mother had eight miscarriages and one um, live birth that at the time, you know, she had her too early that they couldn't save her. So I have a a sister named Mary who died a few hours after she was born. My sister, Anne, was adopted 
from Catholic Social Services. So my mom, when I'm 15, gets a call from Catholic Social Services and says, your sister, you know, your daughter and her birth mother is looking for her. Would she be interested in meeting? Hmm. And what do you think her name was? No way. Mary Gordon. Get out of here. Yeah, fuck around. Wow. I mean, like it gives me chills. Totally. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So wait, you're how old when this happens? I was 15 when we learned about Mary Gordon. I was probably four years old when I had the imaginary friend. And had how long was the imaginary friend Mary Gordon around? I think a year or two. Okay, so yeah. she disappears for yeah. nine, yeah. 10 years. And when the real Mary Gordon shows up, I mean, how did you like, how did that land with you then? I mean, we were all just like, holy shit. Because there was obvious connection. Like everybody remembered Mary yeah. Gordon. Yeah. I mean, she was totally holy shit. So do you then start to like feel that you have these intuitive qualities or does that like be a dot that gets connected later? There were like a couple other moments where like, this is so random, but I, you know, the night before ski club in middle school, I had this like dream or vision or something that somebody's ski fell and hit me in the head when I was going down. Snow trails or Mad River. And I still am a horrible skier. Um, I spent more time like drinking hot chocolate in the lodge, mm-hmm. sadly. No, um, you, you, you had that skill. I, for yeah. sure. I was yeah. like, so I was student council. Like yeah. that was, you know, right. in my mind, the story, I wasn't an athlete. So I'm going down this hill and like, sure as shit, somebody's ski falls, but it was like five feet from me. So there were like definite moments where I mm. had pause where mm-hmm. I'm like, did that just happen? And like, didn't I dream about that mm-hmm. last night um, over and over in my life? And now I'm like, oh yeah, like I, I have a sense about things, um, mostly about people. And I think, um, you know, that, that is what makes me great at what I do today. Okay. So I want to come back to that. I want to talk about what you're doing today, but let's stick with this thread of you emerging through childhood. You have these stories that you've taken on about not enough. I don't think that was your exact word, but- um, Yeah, feeling less than or Less than, yeah. You said less than and and dumb. So you don't get into Miami. You And and, I I guess the point I wanted to kind of highlight is that, uh, and just confirm that your parents sound loving. Oh, they're so- Well-intended. Yes. You know, they're like trying to figure it out. Um, for themselves and for you. My and- mother, sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. Yeah. My mother, so she she's raising six children. She's working full-time, which I can get to. She went to work for my dad's company when I was five because he was about to lose his company. And she had to figure out why. And they found out there was someone embezzling money. So mm-hmm. that's like the money thread for mm-hmm. me. Okay. But my mother, who's like doing all these things for all people, would take the time to put my spelling words on a tape recorder So she would say it and then spell it. And like, she spent all this extra time trying to figure out how to best get me to learn the spelling words so I could show up and take the test the next day. Mm -hmm. Like my parents were extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And I think the reason I wanted to just kind of hear that is because I think it's really important for people to know that you can attach to stories that profoundly influence how you are in the world some people let it run their entire lives. I mean, maybe to some degree we all do. Yeah. But but not because you were in an abusive situation or, you know, what they say is like capital T trauma, yeah. right? No, like I little T trauma. And, and maybe, you know, it can be as silly as, um, you know, a whisper 
uh, which may or may not be true. You know, they say a, a dog that barks at you. I mean, it mm-hmm. could be anything that gets you into an attachment and mm-hmm. a story, even if you have this like totally unconditional loving environment. Thank God that I did. Well, like, there is my that. Gosh. Yeah. Like had I not, where would I be? Yeah, because I carried on this scent, like this shield where I was like faking my way through high school, just trying to survive, yeah. right? And not be found. I didn't want my secret that I wasn't as smart as all my friends and my peers. I didn't want that to get out. Okay, so let's talk about that. So how did you compensate, you know, because I think it's important to kind of follow these threads and maybe when you were unconscious to it, you were compensating. Like you said, sure. you're, you're in the lodge, you're having hot chocolate and probably owning it, you know, yeah. because you have this story that you're not an athlete. So what else? How, how did that kind of continue to play out for you in life? Yeah. Um, so I think I would compensate by being like the fun one, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the, I'm the fun friend, mm-hmm. you know, I was really witty mm-hmm. and like outgoing mm-hmm. and I would booze, you know, <laughs> like I was super fun, Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is great. And but not always, right? But then I would retreat back to my room. So like right. in high school, I would remember, like I would retreat and I would just want to be alone. And I, th- I for sure had just some depression in high school and college. And I think it was probably tied to that those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would really like I would be the fun one at the party, and then I would just be like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to go home and lock myself in my room. Yeah, and not talk to anybody because yeah. I needed to like recoup. It's like a kind of textbook, like a lot of comedians or entertainers. Totally. So, so, all right. Um, I can't not go there. Like what's fun Reagan look like? Like, look, talk yeah. to me. <laughs> I mean, I like, I'm an escalator. So I'll give a recent example. I'll give, this is an example from a few weeks ago. Huh. A decade ago, I lived in a condo. It's an, a home from the 1800s that was divided into three uh, units on First Avenue in the short North. So I buy this condo after a divorce and it like soon after you fired me, like there's lots of transition <laughs> happening. I, did, I, did that happen? I, for I, sure. Oh shit. For I, sure. I'm sorry. So well, I'm, maybe, I'm living in maybe this you condo. Should thank me yeah, thank you. You've it's part of it. Great things. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like part of, see, it's part of my shit. So I'm living in this condo. There's a couple above me and that's, you know, another girl that buys the other one. And we have this, like the glory, you know, it's five years of fun parties, right? And so the first year we had, we decided Memorial Day weekend, the Friday of Memorial, we're having keg party bonanza. We're going to kick off summer and like, will anybody come? And I was like, listen, you know, we can't just get two kegs. We've got to get three in there. You know, everyone's talking me down, but I have to escalate it to three kegs. Yeah. Because like we're, this is going to happen. It's going to be a three kegger. It's going to be a three kegger. So, yeah. you know, we throw this party, a hundred people show up in a postage stamp size backyard mm-hmm. and it's like a rager. So yeah. KPB goes on for three more years. I had to get like the custom t-shirts mm-hmm. made. Mm-hmm. I had talked about and investigated buying the um, Leecher Reacher Pro 3000, which was a t-shirt cannon. Okay. And they're like, you guys, you know, Reagan, like the liability of you at a kegger with a t-shirt cannon, you like yeah. shooting that off in the small, like that's not going to go well. Yeah. But I like, I, I go there yeah. and I research it. Um, that's, you, a, that's, a, that's like a perfect uh, description of Fun Reagan. The Bleacher Reacher 3000. Yeah. Like the fact that you know yeah. what it's called. We still talk about it. Yeah. Like- and we, so then <laughs> a few months ago, I sent a text to the old gang 
And I said, let's get together. We have to have a reunion. I hired, you know, my husband's friend has a t-shirt business. I had him create t-shirts. I wish I had it. It, And it's the outline of the condo. Uh And it, you know, it it had the tagline that we had back in the day for Keg Party Bonanza. We even back in the day had Mikey's Late Night Slice pizza truck come. And that was before people did that. Yeah, Like we always took it one extra step. So we recently got together. I, you know, created it so we could go back to the condo, get a tour of the condo, have our matching t-shirts. We're talking about the Bleacher Reacher Pro, bringing it back, you know, (laughs) next year in my backyard that's now like 40 yards from that condo. I'm now I'm on park. Um, And we did that over, you know, eating Mikey's late night slice. So it's just so funny. Like that's fun, Reagan. Yeah. The night before the reunion, I went and I, you know, got a six pack of Miller Lite for both couples at the time. And for one of them, I got a Smirnoff ice because back in the day, there was this thing called icing. I don't know if you ever knew about it. The only reason I knew about it is there were like younger people at the party. Mm -hmm. So if you show up and like you're holding a Smirnoff ice and somebody sees it, you have to take a knee and drink it. Okay. So gross. Like who would ever want that? So, but I bought, I went through the drive-thru. There's a drive-thru on 3rd. And uh, I I got the six pack of Miller Lite. And I said, do you have any Smirnoff ice? I don't want a six pack. I just need like one. And Mm -hmm. the guy looked at me. He's like, are you about to ice somebody? I'm like, sure as fuck I am. (laughs) And I drove out to the suburbs. Uh Uh-huh. And I delivered, I iced a man yeah. in the suburbs. And I was like, I'll see you in two days. It's homecoming week. You know, fucking get ready. Uh-huh. Like literally I got in the car at nine o'clock and Nick's like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going to UA and I'm going to ice Charlie. <laughs> and he's like, are you really? And I was like, I will be back in 20 minutes. He's like, no, you won't. I was like, start the clock. Uh-huh. And I was back in like 22 minutes yeah. because I went back through the drive-thru. I showed the guy the photo. I was like, I just iced him. Yeah. I just iced a guy in the suburbs who has three kids and a uh, dog. That's great. It was amazing. Got so it. that's fun, Reagan. Yeah. So, and, and you know, what comes to mind and that's just fun to hear the story and fun, I think is a really, really important part of this. You know, sometimes that gets lost because of the sure. seriousness of life. And especially if you know, you're a coach. So there's a lot of growth that is built into who you are as a person and what you're doing for other people. And sometimes that can take on an intensity Mm -hmm. that fun gets lost in all of this. I've had to learn that myself. I, you know, at times can be more on the intense side because I'm so focused on, you know, being my best, growing, doing, achieving, right? So this fun element um, it's just fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, we could talk about icing probably for a while and the many other, um, like the tagline. I like, there's a lot I there I want to so uncover, yeah. but, but um, staying on task, tell me kind of, as you continue to go through college, I want to hear a little bit more about kind of, you know, what's happening and what's impacting you what's shaping you, what's directing you either on or off track. Yeah. Um, And, you know, maybe there's an ongoing kind of thread about how you start to learn, in this case, fun, and maybe that or other things or or all the above, how to use the things that come natural to you or Mm -hmm. that you defaulted to or that you overcompensated with to serve you. You know, yeah. like, and in, in, in the reason I ask is because, like, clearly, fun Reagan, which maybe, you know, in ski club was to kind of overcompensate for, you know, the non-athlete piece of you. Yeah. But as an adult, that's just who you are and you're <laughs> doing it to, like, bring joy to the world, I, right? And, and I do join it. Yeah. Enjoy it. And there have been seasons not so, like, 
far um, ago that where I like lost the fun side, like you talked about. Um, and, and then I feel like she's just come back. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm like so excited. Yeah, and that's great. why I had to ice the guy. Yeah. Because I felt like I wasn't fun for a while. Yeah. Um, but so to answer your question, I think like thinking back to college, what I would do, I, I figured out quickly I needed to play to my strengths, right? So I got, I was all in on the things I knew I could do well. So I, you know, I joined a sorority. As a sophomore, I ran for exec and I was president. So I was president as a sophomore of my sorority, which was a thing that wasn't done normally. You had to be a junior or a senior. I tried out for internships uh, because I knew, you know, like I, I put myself out there for things that I probably wouldn't have done. So I had I had a, a quarter um, in D.C. actually working for uh, gov- former Governor Kasich. Um, when he was in the house, and 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 I put myself in opportunities where I knew I could, I could lead. I, what else did I do? I was part of like a corporate leaders program that that took us to New York, and we got to interview with all these different companies, and that's how I ended up landing my first job. But it was through my communication skills and and, and being fun and being able to engage with other people that like got me to where I was supposed to be. Yeah, so it's it's fascinating to me because I. I see this. I wasn't really like this in the same way, but I see there's like a common thread with people that end up being really successful. In your case, you know, independently successful. You, you took a courageous leap to start your own thing and mm-hmm. really live the, the, the life you wanted to live and are very successful at it. That there's early success stories. I mean, becoming the in the leadership position at your sorority, I see that as a real success story. You yeah. drive, you were interested, you wanted something for, you wanted to succeed. I said, I put did. my name in the hat, yeah. right? And, and I would show up for the things that I knew. I would also show up. I remember when I was part of this leadership group, I forget, whatever, corporate leaders program, and we were in New York and a former alumni from Ohio University hosted a party in his Chelsea apartment. And there was this woman who was like this tech you know, giant. And she was a woman and it's the nineties and she's, you know, talking to all of us as we're seniors and she's asking everybody where they're going. And almost everybody had like a job with, you know, Anderson or McKenzie or whoever, and they had signing bonuses and I didn't have a job yet. And we're drinking champagne. And she's like, what, and what are you doing? And I literally was like, I don't know. I might travel, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was so nervous. And then I got nervous. And I said, which one of these is not like the other, which is from like Sesame Street. (laughs) And she howled. And I was like, and she's like, you shouldn't know what you want to do. Yeah, Like go fucking travel. And she became a great mentor of mine. Yeah, And here she was this like tech giant in New York that stopped by and all of these other people like hated their fucking lives. They ended up like getting laid off soon after. And I landed a job in New York uh, with the guy that hosted the party. And I was like traveling around the world. So I think it was like owning up that, I was nervous, didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And then it opened this door and like, oh my gosh, now I have a job. Yeah. And now I'm traveling the world on the company's dime. And like, this is really cool. Yeah. And, and you, you said that you kind of knew you needed to compensate for, you, you knew and kind of just pulling back in the threads of um, lack of or not smart. Were you kind of consciously um, seeing that you had to compensate or was that kind of just happen, happening organically? Did you did you kind of like have any moments of like reflecting 
upon, you know, kind of where you were weak and where you were strong and how you were going to navigate that? Or is that kind of just instinctual? I don't know if I have an answer. I want to say that I was still like operating under this, um, like not wanting to be found out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like in the moment where you sing the Sesame Street song, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, Tell me, like, could you try to recall that? And, and I'm curious just because I think, you know, part of what we want to do here is to try to help other people know not just what happened, but like, how do we deal with it? Yeah. And you might not have been, you know, and, and I wouldn't have been, you know, mostly for me, it was just like reactionary. Yeah. Um, but like, that's like a really big risk. You know, if you think about it, like big tech mentor, and you're just like, I don't know. And then go into song. Yeah. You know, I see my 18 year old, people are asking him as he's thinking, as he's getting ready to go to college, what does he want to do? I mean, can we tell all those people to stop asking the damn question? I I really want to. I, I, yeah. Stop asking the question. Yeah. There, we just did. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, not knowing is so honest. I know there's some people that like do, and I don't know how I feel about that, but like, um, how did you have the courage to just, you know, kind of, or what do you attribute that to? I mean, part of it for sure was like a glass or three of champagne. Uh And then I think, I thank God that hadn't like (laughs) happened yet. Like icing wasn't a thing back then. Um, so I think part of it was like liquid courage. And I think part of it was my default was if like, you can't compete on the stage of, oh, I'm going to work for one of the big five or four, however many they were. And I got a signing bonus. Then like, can you get them to laugh? Mm -hmm. Can you get them to like you? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I don't know if that was conscious or unconscious, but I was always just like getting people to like me. Yeah. And so that was more, um, started to become, and I'm putting words in your mouth to tell me if I'm off, but it started to become kind of like a, an identity or a superpower. Like I'm good at this. Yeah. And this works for me. And so did you start to kind of like lean into how you could use that to your advantage as you started to you know, navigate? For sure your, yeah. I did. So like my first job uh, was for this uh, production company in New York and I was cold calling people and they literally gave me zero training. And they're this like- This is out of college, your first Right job. out of college. And I'm working in Chelsea in New York and I have zero training. They're like, just pick some companies and target them. And we do meetings and events. Oh, and we also do interactive and websites. Uh, to frame this for the listeners, like Ask Jeeves just launched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there was no, yeah. like no one knew what like a website could do. Yeah, this for is you, what? Or, like, uh, this is um, 99. Okay. 99, mm-hmm. So I'm cold calling and building relationships over the phone selling shit that I'm not even confident about because I'm 22 years old. I don't know what I'm doing, but there were eight salespeople that had started within like a month of me starting. They were all seasoned professionals. I was the first one to land a deal. And I think it was because like that tenacity of like, I had failed a lot, right? Because I had failed in school, you know, in in that sense. And I was always resilient and I would get on the phone and I would build relationships. And eventually people would say, yeah, why don't you fly, you know, and meet with us at Procter & Gamble and, and we'll hear you because I didn't let up. And I, I stayed in touch with them. And six months later, they, you know, would have an opportunity. And, and so I think I was able to leverage the, the, that, that like humor and building relationships and all that stuff through sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly, you know, have seen that theme. Yeah. So, you know, you, you make it kind of your superpower and now it's really starting to 
propel you into your career. Yeah. You're you're making great strides. Um, and you know, I want to talk about kind of your career and how you've kind of moved through that. Is there anything that kind of happens, um, you know, uh, in your early adult life that um, continues to shape you? You know, we've we've touched on the the lack, the 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 you know, not enough, the dumb, the the fun. You know, any other kind of you know impactful moments that really start to kind of shape this adult life? Yeah. So my dad died. So there's that. He died when I was 23. And that was definitely like something that shaped me from, you know, then until continues to shape me. But Mm -hmm. losing my dad in my like young 20s, you know, that that had a profound impact on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And and kind of that sense of guilt and shame. I think that's when the shame of how privileged I was and how little I realized it Mm -hmm. is when I lost my dad. Um, and realize just how much he sacrificed mm-hmm. so that I might have this opportunity to land a job in New York and travel the world and do all these things. That's kind of when it all came down. Mm-hmm. Um, I started losing myself. I think there was probably like a period of five years where I just kind of went to sleep and I I went through the motions and I did things that I thought I should do. Is this after your dad After my dad died. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like 23 to, you know, Mm 28-ish. And then it was around 28 when I started to wake up, which is around the time that I met you. So, Mm -hmm. you know, during that time, I, you know, all my friends were getting married Mm -hmm. and I, you know, found a nice guy that on paper made sense. And his family was a lot like my family. And we met when I was living in Hoboken and he's from Cleveland, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And we got married Mm -hmm. and I shouldn't have gotten married. Like my gut told me that, but I did it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like- You did it because you thought you should. I thought I should. Yeah. And that sounds so dumb. No, it's not. It's so real. Yeah. It's so real. And so many people have done it. So many people have done it. And there's so many things we do. And, you know, it's like when my oldest son was born, or maybe it was my second son, the pediatrician said, if we could only have our second child first, right? Yeah. Or youth is wasted on the young. You know, you, you make all these big decisions when you're kind of not prepared to do it. And so much of it is just because you think you should. You think you should. Like, I didn't know anything about love, right? Like at that yeah. time, I was just, I, I knew I wasn't in love. I knew enough to know that like that based on the modeling I had as a child, my parents had a really strong marriage um, and and based on some other, you know, people in my life who had strong marriages, like I knew I didn't have that, but I kind of faked it. Yeah. And so like that was a, a pretty big moment for me. And and then coming out of that and and deciding to shift from this life of shoulds going along with what I thought I should do and figuring out like, oh my gosh, like how do I really want to live? And can I have like a passionate love with somebody? Can mm-hmm. I have all these things that I would think about, but I wasn't actually experiencing? And, and eventually like one foot, one step at a time, I realized like I could have all those things, mm-hmm. but it took a lot of work. My, I hated my twenties, mm-hmm. hated them. Yeah. It's, they're hard times. They're hard. And you're not supposed to hate them, right? right. Like it's supposed to be fun and you're young and yeah. you're like, you know, finding your way, but it's hard, hard, it's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember. Yeah. It's all hard. Before I moved out, I, this is a little bit of a pivot, but just like my dad was this constant source of encouragement and wisdom. Mm-hmm. And before I moved out, he helped me budget. And mm-hmm. like, how privileged am I that I had somebody sit down and say like, 
okay, Reagan, this is your salary. You shouldn't spend more than $700 on your apartment, Mm -hmm. right? And so I go to New York with my friend, Katie Piazza, and we're going to live together. And there's nothing, like we couldn't find anywhere, even in like Alphabet City, that would have been like two grand. So we go over to Hoboken and I end up spending, you know, a thousand a month on my part of the rent. And I know that I'm not within the budget that my dad like was like, you need to save, you need to do this, you need to do that. And that's part of being 20. Like I remember feeling so stressed about money all the time. And then, you know, 9-11 happened and I lost my job. I'm like, Mm -hmm. fuck. Mm-hmm. You know, like my dad just died. And How did your dad die? He, you know what? If you're going to die, take take this advice. My dad died playing handball mm-hmm. and it's something that he loved. He played every Saturday mm-hmm. with the same guy for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And he had once, you know, shared with my mom that his biggest fear was having like a low, a, a long, slow, mm-hmm. painful death. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want to die playing handball. Get out of here. Wow. Swear. How old was he? He was 66. Mm-hmm. And had a heart attack? Had a heart attack, died mm-hmm. on the spot. Mm-hmm. The guy that he was playing with was a doctor. Mm-hmm. So like, it's not like, you know, yeah. they did what they could. They didn't have a defibrillator at the health club, which mm-hmm. is up in Dublin, mm-hmm. the Metro. They do now. Mm-hmm. And and so that's it was a shock. I mean, not only um, did you lose your dad, but it's not like he was sick and you were yeah, expecting no. this. Yeah. I had the night before, because I was working at this fun job, putting on events all over the world. And we, the night before I left New York, I flew to San Diego and we went to bed and I woke up and my cell phone, I had a dozen missed calls. Mm. And I knew one of my parents was dead. And I didn't know which one. I knew. knew And then I just kept calling, calling. And then my brother, Mike, picked up the phone and he's, you know, crying. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, Reagan, dad died. Mm. And so I literally just got there um, was put on a plane and, you know, showed up in San Diego or showed up back in Columbus with my San Diego based outfits mm-hmm. and met, you know, slowly my, all my brothers were flying in from Chicago and wherever. And we met at the airport and we're just like sobbing. And mm-hmm. they all said like, you got robbed because I was the baby, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. I had the least amount of time with the man that like everyone would want him as a father. Yeah. Um, and it, like my dad was a dad to so many, mm. not just us, like yeah. so many people, he just like opened his his arms and got people jobs and funded mm-hmm. their education and sent them letters in college. Mm-hmm. Like he would, he was my friend's pen pal. Yeah. It's, um, it's emotional to hear you say that, you know, because as a parent and, you know, I, I, I kind of um, lost a uh, connection with my father. My parents got divorced when I was 10. And so I didn't have that kind of, um, you know, relationship. And I so try to be that, for my own kids and um, with their friends. And um, I think it's really kind of the ultimate experience to really be that for people, especially your kids and their friends. And they will talk about it. Yeah. I still, every once in a while, like my, one of my good friends, uh, Betsy sent me not too long ago. She scanned all these letters Mm -hmm. that she had saved that my dad had written to her in college Mm -hmm. and he would like enclose 20 bucks. You know, and the thing that, you know, is kind of coming for me, which I find to be moving is really like you telling that story is really inspiring to me and hopefully other people that like, sometimes I think at least, you know, I can maybe forget that it is really important um, to write those letters, yes. to, you know, talk to the kid, um, not my own, but the friend, you know, the, you know, really um, leaning into that because it is so 
memorable. I mean, so your memorable. dad lives on for sure. And you and your and your siblings and their friends and in so many people you may not even know about the memories, the the kind of selflessness, the 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 learnings, the budgeting. I mean, All it's of those so long lasting. Yeah. I, we have a, a family friend. He's like a brother. I get to see him next week in New York. I can't wait. But his um, his parents had separated when he was young. His dad raised him. His dad was dying of cancer. My dad pledged to take care of him, you know? And so here he is like, essentially, you know, his dad died. He's in college and he's now all alone. And yeah. my dad helped him, you know, helped cover his college, gave him a job, made him you know, the friend hadn't finished his Spanish class. He needed one more Spanish class to get the degree. And my dad like made him finish it mm-hmm. and was like, I will cover everything, but you, you're not allowed to leave this job at, at my dad's company or, you know, move on until you get your diploma. That guy is now earning a shit ton of money mm-hmm. in New York, living his best life. Awesome. Um, and to think about like the impact my dad made for him is pretty cool. Awesome. So, I mean, there's no doubt you've had your fair share of life experiences. You're losing your father at a, an important age. Um, the the starter marriage that ends up not working. Oh my gosh, the chapter out after the starter marriage, like falling in love with the wrong person and all that like happened because of that. I've had mm-hmm. a lot of moments. Mm-hmm. So what was the chapter after the start of marriage? I've never told it. Okay. Yeah. You going to let us know? Sure, sure. Good. Uh, this like is so uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. I fell in love with somebody that was a woman. Mm-hmm. And I had this relationship with, um, like, I, I had a relationship with a woman for nearly two years. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to, like, hide it mm-hmm. because I didn't know what it meant. And mm-hmm. people love labels and mm-hmm. they love explanations mm-hmm. and they love to try to like steer you off course. And so I remember like slowly people would start to find out this, Mm -hmm. you know, the news was trickling out. And I remember trying to contain it. And I was spending the night at her place and my friend from LA called and she said, I know, I know like who's telling everybody about, you know, you and this woman. And it was my sister-in-law was talking to her hairdresser who then told a girl I went to high school with who then told somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling like so nervous. And then I have shame about how I must have made this other person feel because here, like she was in a relationship and all in. And I mean, we were like wildly in love. Mm -hmm. It was the highest high and the lowest low I had ever experienced to that point because I think that was when I woke up Mm -hmm. as a human after like the shit in my 20s. And, and and trying to like contain it. And and I had a, I can't believe I'm going to share this, but I had a, one of my siblings called and said, when I call mom and tell her what you're up to, what do you want me to tell her? Mm. And what did you say? And I was like, please don't, please don't do that. Mm-hmm. It's not your story to tell. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe it because this is my favorite, you know, I don't have to say, I mean, this mm. is somebody I'm close to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But everyone was pissed. Mm. I mean, like my family was pissed. They were pissed that you were doing that this. That I was dating a woman. They mm-hmm. were pissed. Mm-hmm. And have you ever talked about that with them? Like, I've never talked about it. We mm-hmm. don't do that. We're Catholic and Irish and we like gotcha, lock it down. Gotcha. But I will like talk about it yeah. eventually. Yeah. Well, you're talking about it here, which I really appreciate. Yeah. You know, I've literally never told the story. Well, I'm, I'm honored that you're sharing it because it's, it's, I think it's really important because, you know, you, you're, you're growing up in this. Did you say Irish Catholic? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so Irish Catholic, Midwestern, 
suburban Arlington. Nobody right? had ever been divorced in my family. Okay, you're, you're, you're I'm you already know. like outed from the Catholic Church. I have a letter. Yeah. So, I, I, what I'm what I'm kind of curious about and inspired by is the courage that appears to kind of continue to be accessed and and I'm and I'm wondering kind of like how on earth are you doing this kind of everything like I, not that this isn't the most important thing but you moved to New York for starters mm-hmm. you you choose to get married um you choose to get divorced and then you choose to allow yourself to honor a emotional, physical, I'm not sure all, I'm sure it was everything, love with a woman knowing all of this judgment and programming. And, you know, these are things you're not supposed to be doing. Oh yeah. Fuck no. I was not supposed to do do any of it. How did you do it? I, I, I have no idea how I did it. I, what I knew was that I was following the feeling. Mm -hmm. I was like experiencing feelings of like joy and excitement and love because of not just her, but like this community of people that was surrounding us. I was finally surrounding myself with people who were taking risks and doing things that I was like, I could never do that. And then I started challenging that. And it's like, why can't I do that? Why can't I be incredibly happy in my career? Why can't I have, you know, be in love? with anybody. Like, it doesn't matter who it is. Like, why can't I have that kind of love? And so I started challenging and like leaning into how uncomfortable that was. And then when you experience the reward of like, oh my gosh, this is what life should feel like. And it's ex- exciting and scary and all those things. Um, so I, I just had the courage every day just to allow myself. I mean, I, I was an insomniac for years mm-hmm. and I was really like anxious about it. And I had like, it wasn't all fun. But I had to get through that mm-hmm. in order to then like meet Nick, my mm-hmm. husband. And I actually told him about her. Um, I think it was like on our second date. Mm-hmm. I told him the whole story. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I am not, I will no longer live in a place where I feel like I need to keep secrets or have shame or have guilt. I literally just said, you know, the last serious relationship I had was with a woman. Mm-hmm. And he kind of was like laughing and nervous. And he's like, why are you telling me this? And I'm like, because I don't, if we have something in the future, I don't ever want to have to like go back mm-hmm. and like tell you something that could feel surprising. Yeah, again, I mean, I, I, maybe that's like came natural to you. I find that to be another example of courage. I mean, the, or or groundedness or something to, to know uh, at that point in your life that you don't want to go back. You're going to just own it, there live it. There was no turning back. And yeah. like, I literally couldn't keep a secret or feel bad about anything. Okay. So I, I want to kind of eventually get to the work that you do, mm-hmm. but I'm curious, you know, learning to follow your feelings, you're, you're, you're following your feelings. You are um, not wanting to go back. I mean, what this sounds like you're really leaning into your essence and really creating the life that you want for yourself. That, that's what it sounds like to me. Did you get some help along the way? Were you in therapy? Were there any kind of like hacks, guides, mentors, coaches, therapists that, or or is this all coming to you just one experience after another? I went to therapy um, when I was getting divorced. I actually had two different 
when I was going through the divorce, we went to a therapist together. And I remember the therapist said, I, we went together once and then I went on my own once. And he said, if you, if I held a gun to your head, would you stay or go? And I was like, I would go, you know? And he's like, okay, I can't help you. So that was my first go around with therapy. And I did not like that person. Mm-hmm. Um, I found somebody that I've since referred probably 200 people to, mm-hmm. um, who helped me kind of tune in to my energy mm-hmm. and to start like having the courage to, 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 to do what it is that I, that I wanted to do. I didn't go for a long, every once in a while I'll go for a tune up. I haven't been in like four years. So most of it I think was self-guided and having the right mentors in place and seeing people who were like actually doing what it is that they wanted because I wanted a piece of that and I had sampled it. So there truly was no turning back. Mm -hmm. I had to have it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a the coach that I work with uh, says that you you make kind of a a big decision. Um, in in his case, it's usually an entrepreneurial leap for one of two reasons: you're either on fire about where you're going, or you're drowning where you are. Mm-hmm. But you know, in, in your case, it sounds like there was some sort of sense: is I have to. Yeah, I had to. Yeah. Um, and I think in some ways, I mean, there were some chapters where I was drowning. I mean, when I was in that relationship with the woman, I said there it was the highest highs and the lowest lows. And the lows were coming from society, I think, and expectations that I felt like I wasn't meeting. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like no one really gives a shit. And a lot of it was the story I was telling myself and the people that are, that do care, like, are they your people, mm-hmm. right? And having the courage to like, create your new people or stand up to the people and let them see you shine regardless. Mm-hmm. So I think some of it, there's a little bit of both. Yeah, it usually is. Yeah, the fire and the drowning. Yeah, yeah. for me, it was both. And and I think with most things, it tends to be yeah. both. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about kind of then how you make the leap from, and I, I guess uh, before we do that, uh, I'm curious how you made the leap into a coaching, a being of service, doing what you're doing now. But is there anything more from those relationships, both the, the starter marriage, divorce, then you find yourself in the relationship with a woman. Um, what, anything that you want to just make sure we kind of like put a bow on or hammer home about kind of that experience in your life. And maybe, maybe that is um, in part the uh, transition into how you became a coach? As for the bow, it's simply to, um, like your gut is always speaking and to allow yourself to be like attracted to with whatever the people that light you up. Like I would not change anything about my story because I've learned so much. I wouldn't ever change anything about that relationship with her. Because I, you know, we we were meant to have that relationship for both of us. I think, um, so I think it's just having the courage to like, you know, to to have relationships with people that you, when you feel it, that you feel it. I don't know. That's yeah, low. yeah. No, I think that's really great. I mean, you're honoring, you know, in the first marriage, you didn't honor what you knew, yeah. right? In the second one, you did. Um, so in the second relationship, you did despite all the reasons why you might not. Um, So you learned. And then, you know, I'm assuming that allowed you to really kind of put it all together in making the decision to marry your husband. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And it was like, I had learned all these things about me, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, and also to communicate what it is that you need, Mm -hmm. right? From the beginning. So now there's like no 
secrets or tension. Yeah. Like we just communicate. Yeah. I mean, wow. Like so important. So important. It's so important. And all those things that you're kind of not equipped to really know or yeah. do um, without the experience. Without the experience. Like yeah. how do you know what to do? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I really, you know, feel the kind of importance of, and I'm, I'm seeing, you know, your, your kind of life story, your journey unfold. And, and my worldview is that everything is perfect for what it is and for what it's not. And it's all serving us um, in a grand architecture that we don't always understand, but it's always working. It's working for our benefit. Mm-hmm. And it's there for us to kind of grab and use. And in, in this case, you've really, I think, exhibited how to use all of it mm. to get you to where you are. Um, so tell me a little bit, let's talk about where you are. Yeah. What, what are you doing now? Yeah. Um, you know, we've heard a lot about how you got there, Yeah. but, um, you know, tell me a little bit about kind of like the official leap in and, you know, about what you're doing now. Yeah. So what I'm doing now is I am coaching women who are trying to do and be all things to all people in their careers, within their families, within their communities. And I'm helping them uh, figure out how to thrive versus just survive because, There was a long time in my life when I was simply just surviving and doing all these things, but I was exhausted and um, internally miserable. So I work with women primarily like through one-on-one coaching. I do some small group programs and then I do a lot of keynote speaking and workshop facilitation. So that's my business. Um, How I got into it was, again, tuning into what I always knew my strengths were and listening to like why, what are people coming to me for on a regular basis? And that was for like guidance for somebody to listen. I'm a really good listener and I have a strong vault. So like the amount of knowledge I have about people um, is pretty substantial and they know that it's safe. And so I kept thinking about like, how can I make that, turn that into a business? How can I um, have autonomy and run my own thing and, and leverage these gifts that I've had since I was younger, you know, and, and tried, I've seen that time and time again through, you know, being the sorority or, you know, my first job or whatever it was, I was always, you know, somebody that you could come to for sound advice, for listening and for like that confidential space. So I had worked with a coach as part of my professional development where I was at the nonprofit and realized that I didn't know it existed, but I realized that the business that she had built was so in line with the life that I was eager to live. And so it was another risk. Mm -hmm. Nick and I had a conversation and he's like, this is the last winter. It was snowing and I had to drive an hour north. And I, I, I thrive in startup environments and, and creating, you know, calm out of chaos. I love that. And we were already in a sense of calm at this point in the startup. It was, you know, four years in. So I was bored Mm -hmm. and I opened the blinds that day and it was snowing. I was like, I can't believe I have to drive an hour North. And you know, I'm an urban dweller. Everything (laughs) I do is on foot. I get annoyed if I have to get in a car. And Nick looked and said, this is the last winter you're ever driving up to camp. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, you know, it hadn't even dawned on me. Like I, I wasn't thinking about that. So then I was on fire and figuring out like, what can I do? And so I started researching coaching programs I resigned, you know, I gave notice, we worked out a a transition plan and then I went to NYU for the summer. Mm -hmm. So I, I, Nick, you know, we got married in November. I left my job in January. I moved to New York for the summer and I was pregnant with Dorothy, my firstborn. 
which Nick like always laughs. He's like, remember that one time? Like <laughs> we got married and then you moved away while you were pregnant. And I was like, yeah, I do. Um, and that was how it, would all, how it all started. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and I remember after the program, I was on the plane and I was writing a business plan on a napkin and I was just crying. Mm. I was so proud and excited and like eager about what may be. Mm-hmm. And, and um, coming from that nonprofit world, which the camp I worked for was founded by Paul Newman. And I, I got to pretty close with Playa Newman, his daughter. Mm. Um, and so learning about his like wanting to give everything away. Of course, most of my business plan was about making it a lot of money so I could give it away and make impact. And, you know, I'm just like sobbing and pregnant and, you know, who knows why, but I'll never forget that chapter and, you know, getting home and then like putting up my website and and getting to work. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, again, you know, I, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but just the courage, the inspiration, it, it's not something that, um, you should take for granted. I don't take it for granted. You know, reinventing yourself. Uh, you were surrounded by amazing people at Flying Horse Farms. You mm-hmm. were um, doing really important work. And yet, you know, you, you choose to honor what you know is inside of you at a time where there were a lot of data points as to why you should not do that. Yeah. Pregnant, newly married, moving away. I mean, this is, again, not like an easy thing for you to do, but you you step into who you really are. You know, it, it, it almost feels like, you know, you're, you're just so called to this that nothing is getting in the way. I mean, maybe Thank it's not that easy. that up. It's so funny because I, like some of this, I don't see the courage until you say it. Yeah. I don't well, know well, why. And that's, you know, part of probably just your, you know, humility and and just the the natural kind of, path that you're on. But I think it's really important to call it what it is. It is. You know, for so many people, I mean, myself included, as I've started to get into this work, coaching, connecting with people outside of the real estate business world, it takes courage. It's been hard. It's not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting here listening to your story and I'm feeling inspired for myself to continue to kind of follow the threads that I know are most important despite all the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and Especially s- when people are questioning. I, I yeah. remember when I left Flying Horse Farms, the number of staff members, board members, uh, camper parents, volunteers, everybody is adding, I say adding value. And what I mean by that is they're not adding value. They're giving me unsolicited advice, but no one could believe. Mm-hmm. How could I leave this dream job why would I ever do that? Right. Yeah. But I had to. Yeah. I had yeah. to. You had to. And and that's the, you know, like you're on fire. So tell me, how's it going? It's good. Yeah. Yeah. You love I mean, it? I I I like have I do have to pinch myself because I have created a life that I loved so damn much. Yeah. And I can't believe I get to do it. Yeah. Um, as you know, like I love Thursdays. Like there, mm-hmm. you know, days where I get to write, create connect with people. I have certain client days, you know, yesterday I have this new group coaching program that they're in their second week and the women are all on fire and in great moments of transition. And so being able to witness that and help facilitate their journey, there's nothing better for me. Like I fucking love it when people take the leap and say, you know what? I want something else and I don't know how to do it on my own. And I'm going to ask you to help me get there. And mm-hmm. then I get to celebrate them. Yeah. Like that is such an honor for me. It's so filling. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. It's so fun. You're, um, you're, you're really 
really impacting people and fueling your your soul at the same time. Totally. I mean, it, it's like kind of the the just a, the ultimate win win. And isn't that like isn't that what it's all about? Like, it, it is. I have yeah. such a you know I I hope that my girls will you know follow their path mm-hmm. and have this feeling mm-hmm. because for a long time I didn't have that feeling. For a long time it was about a certain title, a certain amount of money a certain, you know, like industry that was cool versus others that aren't cool. And now I'm like, you know what? I get to do what the fuck I want to do and I can pivot and grow and evolve and work with the kind of people I want to work with. That is power for me. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So I know that uh, you are living the life and you're pinching yourself, you know, every morning and there's more out there for you in the future. Um, some of that, you know, I know a little bit about. Um, talk to me a little bit about where you're going. What's on the horizon for you? Yeah. So part of the horizon is I am on this mission to write a book called Heart Boss. And it'll be interesting when the book comes out, like if it, I'll, I'll stick with that title. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a story about how I let my heart be boss and how I, you know, stopped worrying about what other people, what I thought other people were thinking about me and really stepping in and having the courage to create this life that I love. Mm-hmm. So um, I, as you know, and you're so kind to like reach out and be there for me, I, I had um, submitted the book and it got rejected from a publisher, but I did get some feedback. And so for me, like near term, I, you know, am going to continue to try to get a publisher. Maybe I'll go the self-publishing route. I'm not really sure, mm-hmm. but getting this message out there so other women understand like they're not alone, mm-hmm. right? And that they can have all these different transitions. It's kind of the journey from my 20s, 30s, and 40s and what I hope for, you know, for my future to be able to help guide them through that. Mm -hmm. So that's on the horizon. I am also doing a lot more speaking. So Mm -hmm. the workshops and the keynotes, um, to me, I imagine a time in my business where that will take kind of center stage. And I will only work with a handful of coaching clients one-on-one because I love to get up on stage and and tell stories and help people kind of get unstuck so that they can get started on on their own journey. Awesome. Well, I have no doubts that that book under whatever title, I vote for Heart Boss. I I think think it's it's kick-ass. I love it. Can I tell you how I got there? Please, yeah. Okay. So how I landed on the title... So during the chapter, like it was, I think after the relationship with the woman, but you know, still kind of in that season of my life, I was, I was practicing martial arts and I hadn't been an athlete, right? We've established that. But this, the relationship with the woman, I started learning um, Muay Thai and Mm -hmm. I was training for my uh, first fight and I was reading the book, The Power of One. And I um, had taken notes. I was taking notes about this book, which was about apartheid and boxing. It's an incredible book. If you haven't read it, you need to. And um, when I was writing the book proposal, I opened up my desk drawer and I found all the index cards that I had written on when I was fight training. Mm -hmm. And it talked about in the fight game, uh, the head... The head rules the heart, but in the end, the heart is boss. Mm. And I was thinking about like all like <laughs> that, that the main point of that transition in my life was all around shedding the head ruling my life mm-hmm. and the logic and mm-hmm. letting my heart be boss mm. and getting into the ring yeah. as a 30 something, never having been an athlete and like kicking ass. Yeah. Like I really, I won that fight and I kicked ass and it was my moment. And that was like part of my becoming, mm-hmm. uh, was doing something so scary, mm. like literally getting punched in the face and not being afraid and, mm-hmm. and letting my heart be boss. Mm. And so that's how I landed on the title. <laughs> that's so great. And I can actually just like see your smile and like, it like 
got into the fabric of who you are. Oh my it's like gosh. a boss, yeah, right? And not sure. just the boss, but you're using your heart. Yeah. To, yeah. So, so this book is happening. For I have sure. no doubt. And when we talked about this, you know, you had shared with me, you were waiting for the results and the odds. I mean, it's so hard when you go that route, right? <laughs> so it's hard, hard in general, yeah. but I, I kind of had this thought and maybe it's just like, well, because of the odds, but, but my, my thought was that this is also part of your journey. And sometimes we just don't get it how we want it, you know, but it always comes as we need it. And I have no doubts this story is going to be told and it will all happen as it should, as your whole life has, you know? And And all of ours have. And they all are, right? And so, you know, I just want to congratulate you and encourage you. And before we wrap up, Anything else? You mentioned Power of One. Are there books, hacks, podcasts, things that you would just highly recommend for our listeners? And then where can people find you? Yeah. It should come as no surprise. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. So mm, that, you know, too. like just like getting rid of the oh, shame, she's right? She's amazing. She yeah. rocks. I love she's her. She's so yeah. good. Yeah. There's a book called You Are a Badass. Like if you need a go-to guide, especially for women on unwinding the pleasing, the perfection, the controlling, the like imposter syndrome that women suffer from. Mm -hmm. I I would say that's a really good one. Those, I would say those are my favorites right now. In terms of how to find me, it's Reagan Walsh Life Coach um, on most, you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, or just go to reaganwalsh.com. I am a firm like communicator and belief in like, if if you have a situation, like send me an email and I respond. People mm-hmm. are always so surprised. Mm. Like, I can't believe you responded to this. So yeah. Reagan at Reagan Walsh um, is my email. And um, I always, my sign off is always rooting for you, mm. right? And I, I believe that when we root for each other, like everyone wins. So mm. know that like, I'm truly rooting for you and, and everything that you're doing, Brett. And I'm so excited uh, to share this time with you today. So thank you. Thank you. I, I uh, feel the same way. And um, I am pounding my fist in a different way. And it's it's <laughs> in um, just total awe and support and appreciation for who you are and your story and your journey. And thank you. There, there's when, when somebody says, I've never shared this before publicly, and then shares, it's, it's really filling for me because it, it's important. And so I really, really want to just thank you for sharing everything you have today and for living this really courageous and inspiring life. Well, thanks for creating like that safe space because yeah. of the work that you did, right? It allowed me, I was like, why not? Like, this is the perfect opportunity to like shed another layer of, of, of things. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Reagan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at the Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.